This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Live to tape. Welcome to Millennial Season 3, Episode 23. I'm Andrew. I'm Elisa. And I'm Laura. Well, uh, last week we spoke a lot about Ossoff and he... Ossoffing... <laughs> Ossoffing lost. Ossoffing. So... Ossoffuck him. <laughs> oh. Oh. Yeah, well, I mean, were you surprised, Laura? You You were excited for a win. Well, I mean, I was excited for a win, but I was more excited for the fact that a Democrat was even competitive in the 6th yeah. District. Um, because as I mentioned on the show last week, that is a Republican stronghold. Uh, to provide a little bit of history, that's Newt Gingrich's old stomping grounds. Like These are old, hardcore Republican people who live in this area. Um, and if you look back to the election in uh, in November, Tom Price, who is now the director of um, Human Health and Services, which is why they had to have the special election, Tom Price was reelected in the Georgia 6th uh, by a margin of, of 20 points over his opponent. Ossoff hmm. lost to Karen Handel by just a couple of points. So... Democrats definitely became a lot more competitive in the sixth. So I I think that even though I will say that it was an obscene amount of money to spend, it was the, the most costly congressional race ever in American history. Um, I think that progressives can look at that as a win of sorts because it shows that the tides are changing. Yes, we can. <laughs> see a oh, changing tide hopefully I want, maybe I want Obama back. <laughs> we'll see you know they got close but it still wasn't enough and and i guess it's progress but it's also still a loss yeah oh definitely i mean and and the fact of the matter is like uh, asif his platform was very much like i'm not a trump crony you know yeah and right. i and i think that i think democrats I think one of the the weak points for Democrats right now is like nobody's really quite sure where they stand in terms of of policy because it just sort of seems like right now it's we're just not Trump and it's like well you need you need to be liberals you need to stand up for the things that you value and you believe and you need to not be ashamed of those things don't be ashamed yeah. of being pro life or excuse me, pro-choice. My God, don't be ashamed of don't <laughs> don't be ashamed of being pro-choice. Don't be ashamed of thinking that paying your taxes is beneficial to to the collective population. Like, stand for those things. Yeah, be bold. Absolutely. Yeah, be proud of Obamacare, and yes. how you can improve it. 
anyway, uh, we have lots to talk about on today's show. A little more politics. We also have um, some numbers. We got some more numbers games for you guys. Ooh. And later in the show, later, later, like after dark later, we're going to talk about a study of some Google data that reveals that Google actually has a really good hold on who's secretly gay. I mean, amongst other things they know about us, but there's a lot of info on who's secretly gay. So we're going to talk about all of these, but we also have to start the show with something close to all of our hearts, at least still to my heart. I think you guys are have moved on, but um, what? it's been 20 years true? since Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone was published. Can you believe it? No, I feel so fucking old right now. Yeah. Uh... yeah. And... <laughs> And actually, the what like it was a it was a really big milestone. And what I found really interesting, the biggest surprise of that day, it was Monday, June twenty sixth, was that Facebook added special Harry Potter features in the app and website. Where if you typed Gryffindor, Slytherin, Hufflepuff, Ravenclaw, or Harry Potter, you could get magical effects to come up on your screen. And I'm like, I was thinking to myself, Star Wars didn't get something that cool for the fortieth anniversary. Has any other fandom been able to take over Facebook for a day? So I think that speaks to just how big a part of pop culture it was and still is today. Well, it's a classic, too. It is. I mean, these are books that people are going to be reading for the next couple hundred years, at least, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, it's... I don't know. I think we were really lucky to have been alive when the craze started, you know? Um and I, I, I will admit, I'm not one of the people who posted like a sappy thing on Facebook about what 20 years of Harry Potter meant to me. Why not? Because I'm just busy. But I'll say it here. <laughs> um, I, you know, I was, when I was a kid, when I was first getting into Harry Potter, um, my family moved a lot. And particularly when we first moved to Georgia, I was very lonely I didn't know anybody. It was the summertime and I was super into Harry Potter. Goblet of Fire came out. My mom was like, oh, great. This is like a 750 page book. It's going to take her all summer to read. I read it in three days <laughs> and it just it, it just brought me endless hours of entertainment and joy. I met some of my best friends as a result of it because we're all super nerdy and antisocial. And instead of playing sports in high school, we worked for MuggleNet. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And it's just, I mean, apart from, from the lessons that of course we, we all gained as a result of reading those books and the scientifically proven increase in empathy that people get as a result of reading the Harry Potter books. Mm-hmm. Um, it just really helped me when I was a young child feeling very alone. And that's something yeah. that I will always carry with me. Um, and if I ever have kids, they're sure as fuck going to read these books. To teach them empathy. Sure as fuck. Yes. Yeah. Good. Well, well said. <laughs> I think uh, that excuses you for not writing a sappy Facebook post. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Elise, any sappy, beautiful words about MuggleNet fi- fan fiction and how it changed your life? <laughs> no, not really. I mean, it was just all right. <laughs> okay. But, Elisa, no, you listen. were forever changed. All right, listen. You were forever changed by the Minerva McGonagall and Giant Squid. I read story. a story <laughs> that described 
Minerva McGonagall masturbating with a turkey leg and described it as sinewy. <laughs> Whether they meant the turkey leg or McGonagall's vagina, I'll never know. It was sort of ambiguous. The pronouns were confused. And really, that's why I rejected the story. It was bad pronoun usage. The grammar was all over the place. But the rest, I mean, the plot was solid. It was, it was a good, good storytelling. Grammar a mess, plot solid. Wow. I, I want a special episode of Millennial where you just recall your favorite, most disturbing fan fiction submissions. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, there's so many of them. Since, I mean, since it's the 20th anniversary of Harry Potter, I, I feel like we can't forget to talk about the story where Ron Weasley shoved a hamster up his ass. <laughs> oh, you remember that one? Shove, sh- he was delicate about it. He made love to that hamster in that story. <laughs> to be very clear. But no, Andrew, you're right. We should, you know what? I would happily, happily do oh, like an too. After Dark sometime where we get into all the ins and outs of, of the Harry Potter fan fiction world. It's, 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 pretty, uh, it's pretty dark. It's pretty fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> We should save that for next month's 10th anniversary of Deathly Hollows. That'll be July yes. 21st. And that anniversary feels bigger to me because because none of us knew about Harry Potter on day one, of course. Deathly Hollows, we were there for on July 21st. Laura mm-hmm. and I were over in London. Like, I still remember everything about that anniversary. So that one to me feels even crazier that that was now, as of next month, a decade ago. Yeah. I know. That's insane to me. Um I cried. Yeah. When the seventh book came. Shut up. I need your judgment. (laughs) So did Jamie. So did Jamie. He was drunk, though. Uh, (laughs) uh, That was also the trip where you covertly took pictures of me being wasted in a pub. Yes. Why did you cry? I fucking loved Harry Potter. And, like, it. I mean, not to sound like an asshole, it kind of changed my life. And so it, it really it was a big thing. Yeah. No, it did for me too. And actually, little plug for the most recent episode of MuggleCast, purely, purely, purely by coincidence, we actually had Ivana Lynch on the show, and she oh. was she was on for the whole episode, and she was just absolutely amazing, recalling stories about her time in the fandom and on set, and we talked about Newt Scamander. She is just a genuine fan, and everybody has really been enjoying the episode so please check it out if you're interested we don't even talk about the 20th anniversary of harry potter it just kind of lined up perfectly um so check that out elisa uh what are you up to this weekend besides hanging out with me (laughs) not hanging out with me not hanging out with you so the reason i can't hang out with you is because i'm going to going to my family's vacation spot Um, it's the haunted mansion that I've talked about so much on the show where all that weird, creepy shit has happened. So we go there every summer. It's like an annual summer vacation thing. And, uh, yeah, that's this coming week. So I leave like Friday, Friday morning for that. And I'm excited for it because now that, now that, you know, listeners are familiar with Chickahominy, I can... (laughs) record a tour of the house and show you guys around so i think that's what i'm gonna do i'm gonna i'm gonna record a quick tour so people can see the house i'll i'll point out the rooms where some of like my stories happened and if anything else (laughs) if anything else creepy goes down 
I'll keep my phone on me and and I'll try and get that on 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 video too. So hopefully we'll have at least one or two, maybe more videos, depending on how much creepy shit goes on. We'll be posting that to Patreon. Awesome. That we, shit's we've gonna all been... be like some found footage documentary after Lisa disappears. <laughs> yeah. I'm just imagining her going around whispering like it's an episode of Ghostbuster or what? What is that show called on Discovery? Whatever Ghost, Ghost Hunters, Hunters, something like that. Ghost Hunters. It's gonna be like the Blair Witch, where she's like got the camera like <laughs> under her face. She's like, I'm so scared. <laughs> You'll be using, yeah. yeah you guys are gonna be using this in like some like missing person report <laughs> when. You can't find my body. That's right. And we're going to tell the police that if they want the evidence, they have to subscribe to Patreon. (laughs) (laughs) It's, by the way, guys. At the $1,000 pledge level. (laughs) Yeah. I I want you, I want you guys, like, this is my will and testament. I want you to milk it for all it's worth. Like, (laughs) recovery of my remains is secondary. Like, you make those police subscribe at the highest level possible before they get it. Yeah, and we'll we'll donate 10% of the proceeds to uh, your funeral. There you go. We'll throw your family, like, 100 bucks. Oh, that's good. And, I mean, I'm sure they'll happily do that, Elisa, because the police are always looking for excuses to ignore (laughs) cases of police brutality (laughs) towards... Uh, black men so i'm sure they'd love any opportunity to get the focus off of that <laughs> this would definitely make headlines like maryland maryland girl goes missing at a vacation home <laughs> evidence behind paywall <laughs> <laughs> by the way guys so we were so so i'm bringing my boyfriend with me it's his first time at Chickahominy. Oh, God. And he's heard some of the stories. He listens to the show. He's heard some of the stories. He's kind of scared I'm so shitless. Excited. Uh, but uh, he was he he was mentioning to me that he's he's excited but also nervous to spend the night there. And he was like, should I bring a Ouija board? And I was like, no. No. no we're not doing no, that shit no. again. Um, Don't open the portal. And that's why I told him. I said, "Listen, the only we're only going to bring a Ouija board if it's to close the portal. We're not. <laughs> we're not going to start this a whole new uh, a whole new thing with this shit. Anyway, it was. We we've all been to Elisa's vacation slash haunted house, and it really is eerie. It's old as hell. It's 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 very large. It's very grandiose. It's it's ancient. It's it's steeped in history." And it's just eerie being there. I don't know how you can go there and quote unquote vacation. I would just be on edge the whole time. Yeah. So for back, you know, quick background for listeners who didn't hear those episodes, it's basically a hundred twenty year old house. It's um, it, it's a former plantation. It's been around in on, on, from my dad's side of the family for eons, generations. It's actually been in our family longer than the United States has been a country. So if that oh if that tells you any if that if that gives you any indication of how much history there is, and it's we call it Chickahominy because by rights it should belong to the Chickahominy Native American tribe. Uh, they're the ones oh. who were there before white man took it over. So it's a very small but I think respectful way of trying to recognize that. So that's why we call it that. That's what it is, and I'm excited to share some of it with. Uh, 
everyone. Respectful? Give it back to the Indian people if you want to be respectful. Uh, they don't care what not, you name it. They know. want it back. I think, and this is not me being funny. In seriousness, I don't, I'm not sure that, that they're around anymore. Well, give it to another Indian tribe. I don't know. I'm just messing with you. Um. So anyway, I I was I'm gonna be um near Elisa this weekend. So I texted her the other day. I'm like, yeah, I'll be I'll be I'll be down. Let's hang out. And then she was like, oh yeah, definitely. And then like six hours later, she's like, oh, I have to do this. So now I'm not gonna see her <laughs> unless you want to come to Chickahominy. Hell no. I'm going with the <laughs> family. We're gonna go see my brother, who's a who's uh down there. So. But 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 by coincidence, I found out that millennial trader Micah is going to be down there as well. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, we should hang out." He's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, we'll find some time." And I was like, "Did you tell Elisa you're going to be down there?" <laughs> because Elisa lives down there. <laughs> He's like, "Oh no, no, I didn't bring it up." And I texted Elisa. I was like, "Why the hell does Micah never tell you when he's down near you?" Yeah, he never he, does. Sw- he's he's trying to avoid you. I I I said to Elisa over text. I think it's because she's a girl. See, when, when you said that <laughs> at first, I thought you were being sort of ironically sexist just to make a joke. But then it struck me. <laughs> no. no, he's probably being serious. You really think that that's yeah. why? Well, because like because because like you know whenever I'm near him, without whenever I'm in the the tri-state vicinity of him, he's like. Let's hang out. Let's hang out. You're going to be up in the city. You're going to be up in the city. Let's hang out. But then for you, it's like, you know, he's down there right in your backyard. You're seeing Instagram photos of him like 100 yards away. Right. And nothing. Right. No, I know. You know what? It's I think it's it's he just doesn't like me. I think that that has to be that's the simplest explanation, right? I think. Yeah. I'm going to ask him about that this weekend. I'll you see. Should. I'll see what he says. You should oh, ask him. Know. Ask him. Make hmm? sure you tell him. Listen, Micah, just between us, and then whatever answer he gives you, come back, report it live on air. <laughs> just between us and the entire millennial audience. Why do you avoid Elisa? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. So I'll hang out with him. That'll that'll be fun, maybe. I don't know. I'm there with my family. Like, if I was going to see you, it was just going to be super quick because, you know, my family has all these plans for us. So, yeah, that's fun. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. All right. So last weekend, last week, we debuted our voicemail segment. And since then, we got one more caller. And thank God it was another listener who was drinking. Oh, God. I like this. I'm sensing a trend. I want to note the timestamp on this voicemail. Friday, 11.44 p.m. <laughs> I'm so glad that on a Friday night, almost at midnight, our listeners are thinking of us. So oh let's listen. Hey, what's up? This is, this is Yeshi. Call calling. Um, I'm a patron, obviously. I think, I mean, you probably know that because I have this number. Anyway, trying not to be weird, I am a little bit tipsy, but I love millennial, <laughs> and I just wanted to leave you guys a message because 
I am trying to figure out my mess of a love life. And I was hanging out with my married friend, and they just told me that I am kind of a hoe, basically. So I just want to ask y'all one quick question. If you're dating multiple people at the same time, and one of them is showing a lot of PDA, do you think that the person that's showing a lot of PDA is, like, trying to make things more serious? Like, do you think that PDA is indicative of, like, serious intentions? I don't know. I'm trying to figure that out. And I know I said, like, maybe, like, 3,000 times just now, but I'm a hashtag millennial, so let me live, perhaps. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so that's my question. I love this show. I've been listening for a long time. And um, you guys should call me for surprise, bitch, sometime, because I'm back in America, and I have an American phone number, and I want to hear your fucking voices and sound off on this <laughs> this show and be... Uh, you know, one of those lucky few. But anyway, thanks for making a show. I love you guys. Bye. Well, thank oh my gosh. You. First of all, Welcome I want to say that I believe Yeshi is in the Facebook group. Um, okay. And I just always really enjoy your contributions. Aww. Um, I feel like uh, maybe just fucking let me live, perhaps, should be <laughs> our new slogan on the show. So. I do love that phrase. Can I live? So, so she wa- first part of her question is, I think, is she a hoe for dating multiple people at the same time? And my answer to no. that is, yeah, no. Unless unless it's getting really serious with one of those people, but it's actually a safe and smart move to, excuse me, date multiple people at the same time. So if one of them ditches you, you have others to fall back on, right? <laughs> Well, Jesus. Well, I don't really look at it that way. I mean, oh. I think <laughs> I think that I That's think advice that we, I got recently. I guess I did <laughs> not take that. <laughs> no. So the way that I look at it is, especially when you're like getting into the dating scene, whether it's for the first time or whether it's after coming out of a serious relationship and you're just trying to get uh, get on your feet. Um, I don't see any problem with dating multiple people as long as you're upfront, like as long as you're not leading multiple people on and making them think that you're committing to them and then like secretly going out with other people on the side. I think if you're keeping it casual and transparent, that's totally fine. Um, as for the PDA question, I think that's really difficult because it seems to vary from person to person. Um, for me personally, the only time I do PDA is when I'm like serious about the person that I'm with. Mm -hmm. Um, but I've also had friends who are just like super touchy feely with whoever it is that they're having sex with at the time, regardless of whether they're taking that as a serious relationship. So I think it's a case by case basis. I mean, it is. It is a case by case basis, but I think in general, if we're painting in broad strokes, I think that someone's showing you PDA, it's because they really like you. Now, whether or not they are deliberately trying to nudge things in a serious direction may or may not be true. They might not even be aware that they're doing it. It could just be a natural reflex of liking you so much. But I do think it's indicative of that. I don't think that people publicly show affection if they aren't really into the person. So, you know, just... It's a safer bet than not, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think the fact that she's thinking about it might also mean that, like, she feels something 
and maybe there's that spark between them going on right now. But and also, it's kind of funny that this voicemail came in because this is a little Andrew Sims confessional time. Twice this year, I've gotten very close to somebody, two separate people, only to have them turn on me suddenly. And it it really sucks to be led down a path during which things are going great, certain things are said, certain things are done, which mean a lot to me, and there's no problems in sight, you know, maybe some PDA is going on, and and then just like that, they turn. And Yeah, that sucks. Yeah. And and I've been really hurt in both situations, and it makes it really hard to trust people going forward. And what frustrates me is how you can even do that to somebody. So I'm currently grappling with that. But, you know, I, I guess my, my advice to you is to <laughs> take it slow <laughs> and make absolutely sure that the messages they're sending are... Uh, genuine will be followed through with. I mean, so I, I, I get you're probably wondering if this person's being serious, if this person's giving you PDA because they want to be serious. I mean, like Elisa was saying, I think in broad strokes, that typically means that, yes, they they may be moving in that direction. Yeah, but I would also just like to reiterate, you're not a hoe for dating multiple people. And I don't know your friends, but I think that was kind of a dick thing to say. Well, yeah, maybe, maybe they were joking. I, I, I just, but I, but I do think, and this is the advice I got recently, is that it, it is a good idea when you're dating to date around multiple people at one time. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. No. So long as, yeah, I mean, that- you want to make sure that you're finding somebody who's actually compatible with you and not like forcing one particular relationship. I am sad right now, you guys. Oh, you should sorry. you should you should only date if you're going to be available. Twice this mm-hmm. year this has happened to me and it's not Yeah, that's right. bullshit. That's Come Andy, come come down to Atlanta. <laughs> you can stay with me. We can drink wine into the night. <laughs> we can go back to all the gay bars. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. I'll go be your wingman. With... Go <laughs> beautiful. So, you know, speaking of relationships, we actually uh I found this piece in the New York Times, which I found very interesting. This woman wrote in the modern love section of the New York Times about a relationship contract that she has with her boyfriend. It's called Mark and Mandy's Relationship Contract. It's a four-page single-space document that they sign and date and will will last for exactly 12 months, (laughs) after which they have the option to revise and renew it. And they've already done this twice before. So this this contract deal has been going on for three years. The contract spells out everything from sex to chores to finances to their expectations for the future. And she writes, she loves it. Um, some things that are spell, spelled out in it are range from the familiar, like we will take care of each other when one of us is sick, to the fanciful. If we're both sick, it's all up to the dog. <laughs> um, and then they have a house guest section they have an item that deals with Mark's sweaty running clothes. <laughs> Basically, it's like you find the things that might bother you about the other person, and then you you lay out how these things can 
bother you less? Or are you guys, you, you and your partner sense out the areas of your relationship that might be rough patches and you talk about them and then you write down a plan on how to take them on. So I wanted to ask you two, does this sound like a good idea? And also what would be in your relationship contract? It sounds like a terrible idea. Hmm. Why? There's just so much about a relationship that you can't make contractually binding. First of all, sex. Sex is not something that you can put into a contract. I mean, you can, I suppose. But like, then all of a sudden, consent just goes out the window. It's like, nope, the contract <laughs> The contract says we must fuck three times a week. And if you don't feel like it, you're breaking the contract. Well, you could put that a little amendment into it. If you don't feel like it, you don't have to. But then I guess that gets rid of the uh, right. Of the contract. That, then it's just regular relationship sex. Mm-hmm. I it mean, doesn't need to be. Here's all right. It's so dumb. Here's my question: so How seriously are they taking this? Is this just something that they're kind of doing for fun, like it's a novelty idea, or are they like really trying to execute this? That's my question. Because, I mean, first of all, do you know the answer to that? Well, just reading this article, I got the impression that that she is serious. So I they, think I think if they're doing it as a really kind of cheesy novel way of communicating better about what about what bugs them and what they're what they expect out of their partner, then like you know whatever it it's it's fine. Like it's a different way of of going about that, but whatever works for them, right? But my mm-hmm. I guess. If they're taking it super seriously, like, hey, the contract says this, if they're breaking that shit out, like, every day, (laughs) I just find that perhaps a little odd. Ultimately, like, they're, whatever, consenting adults, do your thing, but I find it a little odd just because I wouldn't feel like it meant anything if it were coming from a contract. When my boyfriend takes care of me because I'm sick... I know it's because he loves me and he's worried and he's concerned, not because Article 5 on page 2 <laughs> says that he must or else something happens. So I I do find it a little odd in that way. Yeah, yeah. So they got this idea from a book called The New I Do, Reshaping Marriage for Skeptics, Realists, and Rebels. And that book recommends short-term marriage contracts. And they, she writes that they liked the idea and realized they could take this approach to living together. So that was that was one of the reasons why they decided to come up with the contract, because they were living together. And I do understand the author of this article to a point, because when you do move in with your partner, things change. You mm-hmm. learn new things about them. You wouldn't otherwise. You know, in the article here, the, the writer talks about her partner's sweaty gym clothes. You know, just these little things can add up. Um, so that's so you, go ahead. I'm sorry. You want to lay out. You want to. You want to lay out terms for living together that will make you both comfortable, so that you won't resent one another, and you and you'll be happy. I know in my relationships there are probably things I wish I said before <laughs> before ending them <laughs> about living together, about certain little things, especially somebody like me who can get anal about certain things you know things being put back in a certain place or things being <laughs> cleaned a certain way like it always bothered me about mike he i don't know why he never f- would understand how god i hope he's not listening to this 
I he because he, he used to be a listener. Um, he never understood how to use a dishwasher. He would put the bowls right side up. So then, like the bowl, when you open the dishwasher, <laughs> it's filled with water. He doesn't like understand how gravity works, and that would bug the hell out of me. This happened for two years. But it, but it bug. That's something that bugs you. But is that a deal breaker thing? Like I feel like. If you're if you're making a contract over stuff like sweaty gym clothes, then perhaps there are like other factors at play here that you need to acknowledge with your partner. I think it's a combination of things that add up to not enjoying living together. Yeah, I agree with that. Here's my here's here's the distinction, though, is now you're talking about having a live in situation, which is different from the relationship. They're 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 connected. But if you want to have a contract or whatever you want to call it, like a list of things that, listen, this is what bugs me. This is what we're going to pay attention to in terms of your living situation. I actually think that's perfectly normal. When I moved in with my with my roommate, we discussed having such a thing of like, okay, like you're going to. You're going to do the dishes uh, every other day. I'll do them the other days. You're going to vacuum once a week on the odd weeks. I'll vacuum on the even weeks. And we just, that's good. And we, yeah. And we, we discussed that kind of thing because we knew that that was important. And I don't think that it's any less important if your roommate happens to be your boyfriend. I think in fact, it's more important because now Mm -hmm. your love is sort of hinging on whether or not you can come to these compromises. That that being said, that's very different from relationship stuff. And some of the stuff that she outlined had nothing to do with vacuuming and making sure that chores were being evenly dispersed. It had to do with shows of affection. Like, that's different. I'm not sure you should contractually obligate anybody to show you affection. If you want to say, hey, listen, you need to do the dishes more often and I'm going to write it down so that you, so that you know it's a big deal to me. That's fine. But if you say, "Hey, you didn't kiss me on the forehead three times when you got home from work today," like that's fucking weird. <laughs> yeah, I just can't imagine being this anal retentive. Yeah. Well, in my sex, co- <laughs> in my sex contract, <laughs> I would say tie me up. No, um. In my relationship contract, I think I might put involved sex in it. I, w- I would say because because in my last relationship, I I don't think we had sex enough. So obviously, I would not sexually assault Mike, but if if he wasn't abiding by the contract, but I would maybe say something about having sex re- just to make it clear that it's important to me. If I were to that that we're having it regularly. Because there were times where we didn't have it regularly, and that bothered me. I felt like I was all, always the one initiating. And then I would have always probably put some cleaning duties down. Uh, we had dog walking duties. Those were all sorted out perfectly. Um, but yeah, look, I don't hate the idea, okay? Aren't you glad you didn't marry me now, Laura? You would have had to deal with a relationship contract. I know. Of course, I mean, if you had wanted to set a set amount of times a week that we would have sex i'd be okay with it okay i'm always down i'm always down so uh speaking of sex what's going on over at the white house (laughs) well 
not much, apparently. There's no transit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's literally no transition to do there. Um, so y'all might have noticed over the past few weeks that there have been very few press conferences coming out of the White House. Um, they've only held one in, in over a week at this point. And prior to that, um, Sean Spicer had actually been out of action for a few weeks. And he was coming back to give his first press conference in quite some time. There was a lot of speculation about whether or not he was going to announce that he was leaving the position. Um, this is a really troubling trend of the White House trying to limit the amount of public exposure that these press conferences are getting by having them less and less frequently. One of the big changes that they've made is that less of these daily briefings have been on camera. They, right. they, they have not been on camera. They've banned cameras from rolling during them. And Jim Acosta and a, and a bunch of other reporters, Jim Acosta seemed to take the lead on this. He's been really pissed about it. And they're not even allowing live audio streaming. So what's been happening is the press can record the audio, but they can't record video. And then the audio cannot be streamed live, as some networks were doing a couple months ago. They can only play the audio after the, the briefing has completed. And the big question here... Well, first of all, this is this is just not right. The media is there to report on the White House. The White House is funded by the taxpayers. The American people have a right to watch these daily press briefings, mm -hmm. to see Sean Spicer stutter and flutter, um, and 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 to see Sarah Huckabee Sanders, you know, take on the media. But they have purposely banned the cameras just because they can. And I've also seen some speculation, and this is the theory that I agree with most that they're doing this so that their flubs live on television can't be saved and thrown into television commercials during the 2018 or 2020 election <sighs> cycles. Mm -hmm. I think it's that, but I think it's also, I think it's even more, um, what's the word? I think it's even more pressing than that. I don't think they're, they're just thinking about 2018. I think they're thinking about that day. I think that the White House realized that their press briefings were so abysmal and so headline-making because they were so terrible that, yeah. that it was distracting from their agenda. That Sean Spicer yeah. was a literal Saturday Night Live character that has gone viral. And that every time that they couldn't answer a question or that they answered a question and it directly opposed what Trump himself had said or been tweeting that day, every time that happened, which happened, by the way, every single press briefing, their entire agenda was thrown off. And now they mm. were the story. And the White House never wants to be the story. They want policy to be the story. They want legislation to be the story. They don't, they themselves, palace intrigue, you know, who said what and when, when that becomes a story that's bad news for them because now the the country's distracted and they're embroiled in more scandal and more controversy. So this was, I think, the only way they could think to clean it up was to just not let it happen in the first place. This is yeah. some fucking authoritarian shit, though. It really is. Like, people, you know, I I, I think a lot of people 
in previous administrations have exaggerated when drawing comparisons between former presidents and people like Adolf Hitler and Mussolini and things like that. I I genuinely have been frustrated by those types of comparisons in the past. But this, like you're, you're literally taking the house, like this is the house of the public. This is the, like, this is the country's house. And now all of a sudden you're saying, nope, no cameras in our press briefings. Yeah. Public can't know about this. And you're trying to tell me that that's not authoritarian? It is the strongest sign yet that they yeah. are a complete and utter embarrassment that that they won't let these things be televised. So here's CNN's Jim Acosta. He's always there for the daily briefings. So, you know, he's he's a media vet. He knows his stuff and he's a, you know, he's a hardline news guy. He always reports seriously. He's not one of these personalities on the 24-hour news network. So, this moment from CNN last week was pretty interesting because he loses his cool by the end of this week. But of course, you know, Sean told us in the past that he would get an answer as to whether the president believes in climate change. The question was asked during this briefing today. Well, have you gone back and asked the president that Sean Spicer did not have an answer to that question, whether the president believes in climate change on a matter that happened a couple of weeks ago. So the White House press secretary is getting to a point, Brooke, where he's just kind of useless. You know, if he can't come out and answer the questions and they're just not going to do this on camera or audio, why are we even having these briefings or these gaggles in the first place? Is um, he not having it, conversations with the president about simple questions like climate change? Do you think he just simply doesn't know? Why isn't he having, having those conversations with the president? It, it's a really good question, Brooke, and it's a question that I would ask. But unfortunately, at this White House, we wouldn't have the video or the audio to show you the answer. Uh, to that question because of, of the stonewalling that we're getting over here at the White House. That's the White House behind me, the White House. And it's just, it's bizarre. I, I, don't, I don't know what world we're living in right now, Brooke. We're, we're standing at the White House and, there were, and they bring us into the briefing room here at the White House and they won't answer these questions on camera or let us record the audio. I don't know why everybody is going along with this. It just doesn't make any sense to me. And it just feels like we're, we're sort of slowly but surely being dragged into what is a new normal in this country where the president of the United States is allowed to insulate himself from answering hard questions. He has. Yeah, it's, it's uh, really scary. And, you know, this, this whole climate change thing, of course Spicer knows Trump's stance on it, but he can't say it because everybody's going to lose their minds. Well, and he doesn't believe in climate change. I think there's two problems. Well, I think I think the problem really though is that the president doesn't know how he feels about things. Trump is Trump, let's be very clear about one thing. Trump isn't an actual Republican by any modern or old definition. He's not even a conservative by any standard. He he is an opportunist. He changes his mind depending on whichever little birdie was on his shoulder that day and influenced him that morning. And that's why he will have his team come out and say one thing, and then he will directly himself say the opposite on Twitter because he doesn't know what he believes or what he thinks, and neither do his staff. So this is so that's why the press briefings have become so embarrassing and why they want to shut them down. The problem though besides the obvious is just 
that this is indicative of a White House that doesn't respect transparency. And I think that we should all be really frightened by that because yeah, it's terrible. It's 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 awful that we can't that we can't ask questions and be able to tell the public the answers to those questions. And right now, what we're having is a, a situation where you can still ask those questions and they're still on the record answering those questions. So, okay, it's not on television and you don't have audio, but at least you're getting some dialogue and at least you can print it, right? But what is next is my question. What comes next? Because it was only a month ago that these were being televised every single day. And now we've reached a point where they haven't been televised in a week. It, was, it did not take long for them to go down that slippery slope. So where are we going to be yeah. six months from now? They're just not yeah. going to answer any questions ever? That's how, right. that's are how we gonna get- authoritarian regimes start. When you don't yes. have to answer to anyone, you can do anything. That's a great point. And it said a lot, but if the tables were turned, if this was Hillary banning the cameras, we all know how up in arms Fox would be. Let's move on to our next story then. Well, this is also a sad state of affairs, but a new study coming from the University of Exeter in the UK suggests something that probably a lot of working women already know, but now they have empirical evidence for it. Uh, they they interviewed 300 people uh, to determine how they felt about women using maternity leave. And what they found is that if a woman gets pregnant and uses maternity leave, co-workers view them as less dedicated to their jobs and less ambitious in their careers. However, if they get pregnant and don't use maternity leave, those same co-workers see them as bad mothers and bad parents who aren't properly prioritizing their family. So you really can't win. Now, a quick note of caution, um, and this is a little in the weeds for a lot of people, but the the result that coworkers found you less dedicated to your job if you took maternity leave, they were only sure of that at the 90% confidence level, which too long didn't read translation means that there is statistical correlation but they couldn't necessarily prove causation so it's Mm -hmm. really damn close to being sure but not quite close however or not quite certain rather however the other conclusion that they drew um that if you don't use maternity leave you're a bad mother that that was like damn certain they were confident um in that result 100 percent. so so the the Takeaway from this, though, is that working women really can't win no matter what unless they just don't have kids at all, in which case you're still not really going to win because society kind of looks down on women who choose not to have kids. Yeah. Or the alternative is that the only way they can win is by not having a job and being stay at home. Right. Yeah. I can't I can't say I'm surprised. I mean, and I want to I want to be clear about this, that I think. The solution to this is often spoken of as, you know, we need to mandate maternity leave. We need we need to to institute laws where matern there's paid maternity leave for everybody. And I think that's really close to hitting the mark, but I don't think it's quite mm-hmm. there. 
we need to stop talking about maternity leave and start talking about parental leave because Mm -hmm. fathers need and deserve time too. And not only is that just the right thing to do because men deserve and should get time with their children as well, but also talking about the way talking about gender norms and gender roles when you give fathers paid time off as well when they have a kid that only helps the mom that does nothing but help the mother because when you expect employers to only offer maternity leave but not paternity leave what you're intrinsically saying is that mothers should be the caregivers it's the mother's job to take care of the children it's okay if the father is less involved and he's the breadwinner and he's a breadwinner and the mom stays at home and cooks all day and cleans the house. That's kind of what you're implying. So if we really want true equality here, if we want to make any inroads in in gender equality, we really have to start by by giving dads time off too. So I have two number games for you two this week. These are these are pretty fun. <laughs> So first one, 73% of Democrats say they would give up this for the rest of their lives if Trump was impeached tomorrow. For the rest of their lives. Uh, marijuana. <laughs> wow. A lot of Democrats love marijuana, I guess. <laughs> they do. <laughs> this is a tough one. I'm going to say alcohol. Elisa is right. It is alcohol. Whoa, really? They would, yeah, they would abstain for the rest of their lives. Uh, 17% of Republicans also say they would give up alcohol for the rest of their lives <laughs> if, uh, if Trump was impeached tomorrow. And then they had this other question. Would you give up alcohol for the rest of your life if the media stopped writing negative things about President Trump? Only 30.6% of Republicans said yes to that one. So I think the Republicans even like that the media is coming for Trump. And rightfully so. I mean, he's mm-hmm. fucking it up himself. Here's a question. What percentage of Democrats do you think would give up sex for the rest of their lives? Zero. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> Laura, would you give up marijuana for the I... rest of your life if Trump was impeached tomorrow? I don't smoke marijuana, so sure. But if you, okay. Would you give I up alcohol then? Would you give up drinking? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. Really? Uh, yes. That listen, listen. Here's the thing: if Trump's not impeached tomorrow, I'm probably going to die of alcohol poisoning. <laughs> yeah, That's a fair point. I, I do wonder though. I mean. There are people being honest here. I don't. I so okay. Seventy three percent would give up alcohol for the rest of your life, but maybe only like twenty percent of those people are being truthful. <laughs> Wouldn't everybody want to drink to celebrate it? First of all. <laughs> well, here's my thing. I, know, I think I would say I would never drink again the rest of my life uh, if we could impeach Trump, but. Instead, you just take a tampon, you soak it in alcohol, put it in your bum. <laughs> That's a good workaround. I Technically hear that can actually drinking. kill you. I've heard that too. 
It'll kill you? Lisa tried for us. See how it works out. All right. You know, come to think of it, didn't Matt say he was going to experiment with that the other day? Did it? See, we need to have a talk with him about that because that's actually quite dangerous. <laughs> no, but no, no, the joke here is that he's not here, so he died. I just realized it. Put two and two together. Oh, I'm... I... <laughs> Laura Laura thinks Matt actually said that. (laughs) I mean, I mean. We just learned a lot about what Laura uh, wouldn't put past Matt. Well, let's be not a lot. (laughs) Uh, Honestly, I wasn't sure whether or not you were joking either. (laughs) (laughs) All right, number game number two. It's been ten years since the iPhone. Believe it or not. In the past decade, there's been a 15% drop in sales of what due to the iPhone? And I would actually extend this not just to iPhone, but all smartphones in general have caused a 15% drop mm. in what? Um, I would say bills associated with landlines. <laughs> okay, yeah. Like That's phone bills one. with landlines. Mm-hmm. Drop in sales of what? Um, would it be too broad to say like brick and mortar retail in general? Like, is that too broad? Because uh, I can see people not going to the store anymore when you have all those apps. Yeah. Well, you're kind of on the right track. Okay. That wasn't the answer, but you're kind of on the right track. 15% drop in gum sale. What? Bubble gum. Bubble gum. And here's why. Because now when you're in the checkout line where bubble gum is, you're staring at your phone instead of staring at the gum that's sitting there next to the cash oh register. Oh, my God. Mm, that's, that's <laughs> wow. 15% drop. This is, uh, you know, a lot of websites are doing iPhone anniversary articles and... Uh, Recode has uh, uh, 10 years and 10 charts, and one of them is about gum sales. Really interesting. That's that I would never have guessed that ever. But it makes sense, right? Yeah, I guess. Well, because uh, personally, when I'm at Target doing my food shopping, I got my iPhone out, um, scrolling through Twitter at the checkout line, waiting for my turn. Or uh, checking out my Target Cartwheel app to make sure I'm getting all the discounts I can. And then, and uh, I'm not looking at the gum. So, it's just something you don't think about. It's just one of those little things that you don't realize the iPhone has changed. And, Laura, I bet you you are right to some extent as well. You both are, probably. Mm-hmm. All right, time now for Hidden from the Headlines. So, this past week, Norway gave a warning to Brazil. They told them that if they don't stop destroying the Amazon rainforest, they're going to revoke a billion dollars in financial aid that they give Brazil every single year. So on one hand, of course, this makes complete sense because the billion dollars that Norway gives Brazil every year is for preservation of the Amazon rainforest. So they are kind of at rights to want to revoke that if they're not going to take it seriously. On the other hand, Brazil is experiencing a pretty serious economic shift right now. 
the country is going through really, really rough times. And they just announced that they were going to be um, doing more deforestation and mountaintop removal so that they could try and help their economy bounce back, which is something that every country is guilty of at some point is abusing their natural resources. It just so happens that Brazil's natural resource is the fucking Amazon, which is responsible <laughs> for clear... Uh, the Amazon every year is responsible for uh, clearing the the world of a little over 20% of its CO2 emissions. That's fucking huge. That's how important the Amazon is. So even though it's within Brazil's territory, it impacts all of us when deforestation occurs. So I don't know. I thought this was worth mentioning because it's kind of like, it's a little bit like peer pressure on an international level, you know? Yeah. I, you know, I think that it's, I understand where they're coming from. Um, I just always wonder about the trade-offs in these situations. Um, I I wonder how, like how directly this, pulling of funds could affect individual people. Particularly hmm. particularly people who live in the rainforest, because there are a number of indigenous tribes that do. Um, and I'm sure that in some way, this funding is intended to protect those people. Uh, but it just kind of seems like you're fucked if you do, fucked if you don't, because like they pull the money but, like, these people are still having their homes destroyed? I, I don't know. No, it's, I agree. It's it's a shit position because, like, you know, if, if Norway doesn't pull the money, then they kind of feel like they're throwing it down the drain because Brazil's not mm-hmm. using it appropriately. They're not taking it seriously. But on the other hand, if if they if they do pull it, then you're right. I mean, the people who get hurt... Uh, you know, again, not just not just Brazilians and not just the indigenous people in the Amazon, but all of us, because again, the Amazon's so critical to our broader ecosystem. So, I don't know. I mean, I feel like Norway's completely within their rights to do this, and I wouldn't blame them at all. And in some ways, I do kind of wonder if this isn't just, you know, uh, if they're not bluffing. You know what I mean? I wonder if this isn't just like a little bit of a stick to go along with that carrot. Like, here's some mm-hmm. money, but I'll fucking beat you with it if you don't use yeah. it right kind of thing. I'm hoping that this just snaps Brazil, the Brazilian government, I should say, into place a little bit. Yeah. That that was my initial impression, too, that this was bluffing, because this is a lot of money, and for both sides for for Norway it's it's a lot of money to bluff with it's good leverage on the other hand Brazil's like oh shit a billion dollars yeah we better seriously right. rethink everything yeah i mean okay actions have consequences get your shit together mm-hmm. brazil mhm thank you for enlightening us elisa i have a couple recommendations i'm uh i go to the gym almost every day because I, I seriously, I'm a loser. <laughs> and um, I was walking up to the gym today. There's there's a sign on the door. We're closed 4th of July. And I'm thinking to myself, well, fuck, what am I supposed to do on 4th of July? Because I, I have no friends around here. I'm bored. I have nothing else to do. Doesn't your but family anyway, do anything? 
Ah, uh, maybe, but why do I want to... So anyway, going to the gym daily, I, 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 we've seen this question in the Facebook group too, and this is why I want to bring this up. How do you keep your workouts fresh? How do you do workouts daily every other day and not feel like they're getting stagnant? If you use Spotify or if you thought about, if you have thought about Spotify, A, I highly recommend it. B, they have a great feature that I've been using recently to freshen up my gym workouts. It's called your daily mixes. And there's six of them. And every day they are generating new playlists for you. And they're sorted by genre. So like my top two, my daily mix one and two are kind of like um, top 40 stuff. And then number three is musical stuff because it knows it knows your listening happens. It knows the genres you're into. So it it makes mixes based on your favorite genres. So I got top 40. I got classic rock. I got theater slash musicals. um, And then I got some like, I guess, punk rock (laughs) made up of no doubt. Sugar Ray Paramore. So if if and I every day, like when I do my weight stuff, I am hitting up daily mix one that's good top 40 stuff and it's just a really fun way to keep things fresh at the gym without having to worry yourself about like oh let me create more music for myself no no more on spotify they're giving you fresh playlists tailored to your tastes every day and then in light of summer have you guys heard heard about this cold brew coffee craze oh yeah definitely are you guys enjoying cold brew? Have you tried it? Yeah, is it new? Oh, okay. Here we what no, it's not new, but I'm getting into it, so okay. now I have to talk about. It. So, I was actually resistant to cold brew. I thought it was kind of just like a scam, like kind of a way to for Starbucks to be extra fancy, like, "Oh, look at our cold brew. It 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 tastes so much better." I was like, "Yeah, what the fuck ever. It's just like another marketing scam from Starbucks." But then I read this article in the New York Times about the cold brew craze and how everybody has adopted it. Even Dunkin' Donuts, all the small coffee places, all of them, they're all doing it. The big difference is that, obviously, as you can tell by its name, it is brewed cold, <laughs> but it's it never touches heat. And so none of the acidic tastes in cold brew and in, in, um, in, in hot brewed iced coffee comes through. And again, I didn't believe it. And then I read this article and I was like, all right, I'll try it. Now I'm obsessed with it. This is the coffee, iced coffee I get at Dunkin' every day. And Trader Joe's sells cold brew coffee as well. So I purchased, it's kind of expensive. It's 10 bucks for a, um, for like a little jug of it. But you don't put much of the cold brew into your glass. You do, Trader Joe's rec- recommends like a third coffee a third water and then another third like your favorite creamer or in my case I, I use milk so i highly recommend checking it out these are the two things i consume every day and i'm like i need to recommend these on millennial daily really, mixes and cold brew coffee cold brew co- cold brew coffee rather is awesome but i have to get back to the whole gym thing i love how you call yourself a loser for being physically fit i like how <laughs> I like how you're like, oh, I'm just such a nerd, you know, just such a nerd. I go to the gym. I keep myself in shape and I care about my health. (laughs) No, I'm glad I do. But I'm also like, 
can I get a life? Can I find other things to do than to have time to go to the gym every day? It is a problem. I'm not necessarily proud of it. Like, working from home, it is good to get out during the day and actually move around. Like, that's why I, I'm pretty adamant about doing it. But on the other hand, it's like I legitimately have nothing interesting to do on the 4th of July, so I'm actually bummed that the gyms gyms closed that day. Fuck my life. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You'll feel better once you move and you get settled yeah. somewhere. Mm-hmm. Well, well. speaking of that, in After Dark today, not only are we going to talk about this Google data that reveals a lot of people are secretly gay, <laughs> but I'm also going to reveal to Lauren and Lisa where I am probably moving. There is one city that is calling to me, calling to me, <laughs> like no other city is right now. So I'm going to talk about that, and we'll we'll get your 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 joy. Uh, screams of joy or grunts of disappointment i think it'll be somewhere in the middle oh boy yeah i'm excited any uh closing <laughs> music idea should i play my daily mix one <laughs> yeah you should just pick it okay. random <laughs> uh i've been drinking a little bit during this episode okay no. have you noticed i'm laughing a little bit uh, more than andrew <laughs> totally thought you said i've been jerking a little bit like oh, you that too. jerking it i get horny when i'm drunk oh god <laughs> no all right so we'll play my daily mix one see what comes up a uh, couple plugs millennialshow.com keep up to date with the show we've got all the links that you need over there to our twitter to our facebook to our facebook group also to our patreon Thank you to everybody who is supporting us. Patreon.com slash millennial. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Elisa. And I'm Laura. See everybody next time. Goodbye. Bye. Bye-bye. Ooh. Gravity by Time Flies. Whoever the hell that is. Wow, what a lit song. Thanks, Spotify. I'm going to get amped to this song. This is really selling those playlists, Andrew. <laughs> no, come on, you hear the pop coming? The drop's coming. The weights are falling on me, gravity.